discuss living better through permaculture, mindfulness, decentralization, freedom, flow, agorism, anarchy, and more. We'll discuss how to solve life's complex problems with simple solutions. This is Mike the Polymath coming from the Easy Peasy Workshop. In Indianapolis, Indiana, the crossroads of America. Thanks for joining. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to episode 110 of the Easy Peasy Podcast. You know, I got a funny kind of word that just came into my vocabulary, and I am, you know, it's funny. Occasionally, I'll I'll learn about a concept and become slightly obsessed You know, it's like I want to know everything there is to know about something that just just interests me, you know, piques my curiosity. And I was scrolling on Instagram a couple few days ago and I saw this gravity defying coffee table that somebody had built, right? Or seemingly gravity defying. For the life of me, I could not figure out how the hell it worked. And so I I dove into the comments section, right? You know, it appeared that the top of this table was floating. And the bottom, you know, all that was connecting it is chains. And how it could stand up without those chains collapsing was the confusing part to me and it's a simple you know it's not quite an illusion but you have to you have to really look to see that the center chain you know there's like four around the outside of this you know rectangular table and then there's these arms coming you know up from the bottom and down from the top and a chain that runs between them and the the chain in the center is basically intention And because of that, and because of the geometry of the thing, the outer chains are in tension as well. While these vertical kind of struts, actually more more diagonal struts, are in compression. And it creates a stable structure. You know, you might want to look up a picture if you if you 
care to see what the hell I'm talking about when it comes to the table. But the important thing is understanding this, this basic application of tension and compression in harmony, you know, in harmony, in balance, equal and opposite push and pull. Cause this is one of these bigger truths, this principle of tensegrity, you know, it applies to, for instance, our bodies. Fuck. You know, I, I worked real hard Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of this week. And I moved a lot of materials. You know, I pushed a wheelbarrow and I built, you know, there's a lot of lifting and pushing and, and a lot of compression. And I didn't stretch enough. And I woke up, you know, Wednesday morning, still had work to do, but I had the biggest crick in my neck. Truth is, it's still there. And I've been working on it. You know, I've been stretching. I've been trying to work it out. Even had a buddy pick me up and give me a little shake to try to pop it, right? You know, that maneuver, cross your arms in front of your chest and have a big dude wrap his arms around you, give you a squeeze and a, and a pull and, you know, a little tension, a little traction. Now that helped, but it didn't quite fix it. You know, it's still there. I'm still working on it. It seems like I can't find a comfortable way to sleep because of this fucker. And it's making me wish I'd been better about stretching, you know, as I worked, before I worked. To be honest, that often falls by the wayside. I should probably just do it on the job while I'm getting paid, take some time, do a little stretch because it's no fun. It's no fun having a, a real fucked neck, you know, doesn't feel good, but I'll get this. I'll get this worked out. Sometimes it just takes a little time, but my point is our bodies, right? Our bodies are tensional in structure, right? Our bones are the compressional components and our muscular and, and tendons and that that's all tension, even the skin, right? And the, the, the fascia of our bodies, it's like a network. Now I've, I've got a couple little clips that I thought I would play and, um, you know, I guess I just think these guys might be able to explain things in a way that I can't. So let's see how this how this goes. Strictly speaking, for a structure to be classed as tensegrity, it needs to follow an extra criteria, which is that 
all the parts that are in compression need to be only in compression. And that's actually not true here. So you've got that bend there. So this part is experiencing a bending force. So there'll be a part on the inside that's in compression, part on the outside that's in tension, which is okay because well, this is probably aluminium and aluminium is pretty good in tension but this structure is a tensegrity structure even under the strict criteria all the bits in compression are straight all the bits in tension are straight as well and so the bits in compression only feel compression the bits in tension only feel tension so by building the structure this way you can make it much stronger because the parts that are good at compression are only experiencing compression the bits that are good in tension are only experiencing tension you can also make it lighter as well you can use less material to get the same strength like this basswood is good in compression but if i bend it like this it experiences tension at the top and it snaps which is why NASA are designing a planetary lander based on this exact configuration because it's incredibly robust. You know, you can bounce it around, you can land it on a planet, you know, it might squish a little bit, but if you put a payload in the middle, maybe it will survive. And by changing the length of the cables in tension, you can actually move the structure around robotically. Because tensegrity structures optimize for strength and lightness, and because evolution often optimizes for things like strength and lightness, it wouldn't be unreasonable to expect to find tensegrity structures in nature. And in fact, if you look at the bones in your body that are under compression, and the muscles, tendons, and ligaments in your body that are under tension, you sometimes find them in tensegrity-like arrangements. And of course, architects and engineers have put tensegrity structures to good use. For example, the Curlipper Bridge in Brisbane, Australia. You know everything there is to know about a subject. Something comes along and changes the entire paradigm. Fitness and muscle is no different. Tensegrity is a concept that completely changes the way we think about muscle and performance. This changes everything right down to the fundamentals that you learned in PE. We're going to learn about it now, and it's pretty fascinating. So the concept of tensegrity can be a little bit tricky to visualise, which is why I've brought this little Lego sculpture, which I built with my daughter. And basically this shows us how, rather than being a series of blocks stacked on top of each other to remain upright, it instead relies on tension coming from different angles. It wants to fall this way, but it also wants to fall this way at the same time, and that's keeping it a lot. So we tend to think of the skeleton as being this stack of bones on top of each other held in place by gravity, and then the muscles and the tendons work like levers and pulleys to move the joints. This is what your PE textbook, your science textbook probably said when you were at school. This is accurate to a degree, but it misses the bigger picture. Because in fact, your bones are suspended in position by equal and opposite tension, pulling on it from all different angles by the muscles and the tendons. In this sense, we can describe the muscles more, as James Earls says in his book Born to Walk, as tension-tuning systems, tension-tuning instruments. Their job is to apply tiny adjustments in force to keep everything exactly where it should be. And this is happening all the time as you move throughout your day. And a good example of this is the hip adductors. The hip adductors aren't only for bringing the hips, the legs together. In fact, that's probably not their primary role. Their primary role is to prevent abduction, to prevent the legs moving apart. And they work in equal and opposite force against the hip abductors. 
So tensegrity and tension, it's not just about keeping the body together. It's also about communication and sending signals throughout the body. So for example, if you have a taut piece of wire, you can flick one end and the vibration will travel down to the other end. If it has any slack in it, it's not going to travel in the same way. This happens throughout the body. And as we're walking, for example, you'll use lots of different signals that are traveling from your heels, from your tibialis anterior, all the way through to your buttocks and your lats. And this is only possible thanks to tensegrity. So this is possible because the fascia, which surrounds the muscle, connects the joints, encases the organs, actually contains its own Meccano receptors. That means that it can sense changes in pressure, in length, and communicate that information across the body. This then means that action from one muscle can actually trigger and cause movement in a muscle in a disparate part of your body. For example, when you're walking, as you strike the ground with your heel, you actually move your hips. You have to then contract your glutes to counteract this. And that is then felt across the fascia across the back, all the way to the lats. And this is how movement in the legs actually affects movement in your lats. And those signals can travel without having to go the scenic route via the spinal column and the brain, making them much, much quicker and far quicker to react. And as we walk, even within our feet, as I talked about recently, when your heel strikes the ground, you automatically plantar flex, your foot goes towards the ground. And then as the, the actual bottom of your foot touches the ground, this triggers the plantar reflex and causes your toes to grip onto the floor. As you lift your heel, you then dorsiflex and bring your foot back up to prevent yourself from catching on anything. All this happens unconsciously thanks to tension and tensegrity. So I think you're maybe starting to get why this fascinated me so much. And apparently it fascinates other people too. You know, in my short little amount of research I did, I found this article and it's on tensegrityinbiology.com the article is called the bare essentials of life the shape of nature and there is no listed author otherwise i would give that person credit but anywho uh, Modern anatomy has taken many centuries to accumulate a body of knowledge that is now unraveling in <clears throat> I'm sorry, that is now unrivaled in any other sphere. It has classified structures according to the thinking of the day and sought to understand their function using the latest technologies. But established conventions have allowed many inconsistencies to survive long past their sale date. For example, orthodox views of human movement are based on the mechanics of man-made machines described in the 17th century and have remained essentially unchanged ever since. But biology is not constrained by the rules of classical mechanics, and now there are better ways of looking at functional anatomy that is founded on some basic principles of self-organization. I'm going to pause there, guys. So what's so fascinating about this concept is that it, it, it touches on many, many uh, of my favorite topics, we'll say. You know, there's the duality of push and pull. And he just said, founded on some basic principles of self-organization. So let's just make a mental note there. I think that's, that's very perceptive. 
Whenever nature uses the same principle in a variety of different situations, there's probably an underlying energetic advantage to this appearance. And biological development and evolution will always favor those patterns and shapes that are most energy efficient in terms of stability, materials, and mass. Even though they can appear to be rather complicated, at the most basic level, all living structures are the result of interactions between atomic forces and the orderly arrangement that they settle into. Atoms interact with each other in many different ways. Van der Waal forces, electrostatics, covalency, steric interactions, etc. But those can all be simplified into those that attract and those that repel. <clears throat> the forces themselves are invisible but ultimately cause the atoms to spontaneously form recognizable and tangible structures, crystals, and molecules. Though some basic principles of self-organization, geodesic geometry, closed packing, and minimal energy, um, I guess that's close packing and minimal energy, uh, the same principles apply at every size scale where these forces are frequently referred to as tension and compression. Thus, while the body itself has long been considered a physical structure, a biotensegrity perspective recognizes that the uh, particular configuration of invisible forces within it, closed chain kinetics slash tensegrity, is much more important in understanding what really enables it to do all the things that it does. Living structures are the physical representations of the invisible forces within them. Nature does things in the simplest and most ener energy efficient way, and a popular understanding of this simplicity now provides powerful means to relate complex patterns and shapes with functional anatomy. Albert Einstein emphasized that the laws of physics must be the same in every place, which means that even the most complex organisms can be understood in terms of the basic rules of organization. <clears throat> All right. I believe this is the start of a new sort of structure or uh, a new article here. <clears throat> it says bio Biointense. <laughs> it's I'm stumbling. I'm stumbling on on my words here, y'all. It's a little cold in the shop, you know. I turned off the the heater for the sake of audio, and uh, I'm just a wee bit chilly. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna get a jacket on, and I think I'll read some more because there's there's still some inter interesting shit. Yeah, yeah. All right, give me just a second, y'all. <clears throat> All right. So I'm going to keep going here. This word, it's a tongue twister, but biotensegrity. Biotensegrity recognizes that forces of attraction and repulsion at the molecular scale are comparable with those of tension and compression at higher size scales and are easily modeled using cables and struts respectively. It is a simple re-evaluation of anatomy as a network of structures under tension and others that are compressed. Parts that pull things together and others that keep them apart. Basic physics. Tensegrity models. I keep wanting to say tensent. 
tensegrity, but it's tensegrity models are similar to biological structures in that they are strong, light in weight, and resilient to the effects of damaging forces, yet can come or can change shape with minimum effort and always require the same position of stable equilibrium. Their structural mechanics operate the same in any position, irrespective of the direction of gravity, as they have similar nonlinear uh, properties that influence movement and relate more to the newly emerging field of soft matter physics than classic mechanics. Each component part can be constructed from similar ones with within a complex structural hierarchy and are innumerable and innumerable hierarchies within it with each part functionally related to all others because that's how they formed in the same place so that the entire structure becomes united into a single functioning unit hope i'm not losing you guys <clears throat> the recognition of biotensegrity as a unifying structural principle in living organisms began in the mid-1970s with Stephen M. Le Levine, <clears throat> an orthopedic surgeon who observed things at the operating table that could not be explained through orthodox biomechanical theory. He found that tightening up certain ligaments in the knee, etc., caused the bones to move apart and that normal bones did not compress each other <clears throat> across their articular surface, surfaces and often had a slight spacing between them. But there, were no known, but there was no known mechanism that could make this possible. It was like the bones were suspended or appeared to float within the tensional network of soft tissues. Further research on skeletons of dinosaurs and other larger animals eventually led to the recognition uh, that they then that a then relatively known structural principle called tensegrity could be proven or could provide an explanation for these findings and could be applied to every part of the body. The term tensegrity is a com combination of the words tension and integrity. And the structural symptom uh, systems were first recognized as a. I'm sorry, guys. And this structural system was first recognized as a new structural principle in 1948 by Kenneth Snelson, a young sculptor who produced many impressive works that he described as unveiling the exquisite beauty of structure itself. Tensegrity models are particularly interesting because the struts remain isolated and do not compress each other at any point because they are suspended within a tension network. The architect Buckminster Fully <laughs> recognized them as part of his theory of synergistics or synergetics. The study of nature's coordinated system that considers that all natural structures are inherent displays of the forces within them. And the cell biologist Donald Ingber has described the structural lattice, cytoskeleton, within cells as a tensegrity structure that regulates cell function and applies to every size scale in the body. Mechanical engineers also appreciate this distinctive, uh, the distinctive properties of tensegrity structures that are produced or and are producing robots for the use of for use in 
exploration of space, etc. Both biologists and engineers now recognize that the simple principles of tensegrity can be applied to understanding the behavior of more complex structures, but because certain aspects are not transferable between these different fields, Stephen Levine introduced them introduced the term biotensegrity to distinguish between them. <clears throat> biotensegrity models emulate biology in ways that were inconceivable in the past, but it has taken some time for the concept to become widely accepted because of its challenges to generally accepted wisdom. Biotensegrity explains how joints can remain completely stable without overstressing the soft tissues surrounding them and demonstrate that the spine is essentially a tensioned structure that can function much the same in any position with movement controlled by the, the very structure itself. It is attracting the attention of engineers, biologists, hands-on and movement therapists because it provides a better means to visualize the mechanics of the body in the light of new understandings about functional anatomy. A note on the so-called power laws. So-called power laws are interesting because they offer an apparent link between complex and diverse phenomenon, but their place in the grand scheme of things should be recognized for what it really is. While physicists and bio, biomechanics use <clears throat> a system of engineering based structural analysis for understanding natural phenomenon based on equations, the underlying simplicity that underlies everything in the universe, geodesic geometry, close packing, and minimal energy is generally disregarded. Investigations into biological organization have mostly started at the complex cellular level and moved upwards and the power scaling laws then emerge out of this. But recognizable patterns do not just appear out of nowhere, but because of the inherent, or I'm, I'm sorry, because of the interactions between some more basic principles described above. Power scaling patterns or laws are a product of self-organized complexity, but do not explain how or why the phenomenon they link together developed in the first place. They are interesting and sometimes useful features in the emerging mytho uh, morphology, but their significance has been overblown. In the same way, biological fractals are not the result of some ongoing mathematical iteration, but self-similar statistical probabilities that emerge independently as the developing structures formed. So even though different processes at different size scales can be compared through their fractal dimensions. That does not necessarily mean the structures themselves are fractals. As for all those mathematical equations, there are, they are simply subsets of the algorithms that determine how, why, and in what way biology behaves in the way that it, it, in the way that it does <clears throat> and are not casual or, and are not causative in themselves. Oh, it's a mouthful, y'all. That's it. All right. That's all I'm reading. There's there's some it gets deeper though. It gets deeper. You know, we're talking there's structural heterarchies, whatever the hell that means. Uh you know, this is a fucking it's a massive concept, yeah. 
helixes, you know, down to the very structure of our DNA, right? Everything, every fucking thing. It's, it's kind of overwhelming. And I'm not trying to, you know, I think there was something there at the end about overblowing these principles and their significance. You know, I might verge on, on doing that because, you know, it's, it's these simple self-organizing, you know, dynamics that people have a hard time have a hard time putting their faith in. You know, we want to control. We want to impose what we think of as the best patterns of life, right? We want to manage it. We want to we want to break it down and know every factor and and be the architects of our world, right? But the truth is if you let self-organization unfold these these robust you know these 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 networks these systems if if allowed to form in a natural way are much more resilient right they're lighter in like a a very tangible sense you know i think about that that men's group and how just by getting 50 or 75 guys that all live, you know, in the same kind of city who might know a few people in the room, but don't know everybody, but everybody's, you know, I know this guy who knows that guy, you know, it's light, it's efficient, it's strong, it's resilient. We're, we're doing something real in terms of building out the network in our city. And it's an, it's, it's a very natural way of doing it through open conversation, you know, voluntary interaction and association. And I'm actually, I'm going to read you something here. It's much shorter, so don't worry. I'm kind of like over reading, but I got this note in the mail today from one of the guys that I was sitting with. And it says, dear Mike, I truly enjoyed another All Decades Club meeting with you. I guess I'll I'll interject here and say, it seems that me and this fella get seated together more often than not. Even though, you know, the idea is that you kind of want to meet different people every time. You know, you show up and you're, you're designated to a table. And for whatever reason, him and I just always seem to be at the same table. So we've kind of gotten to know each other. And I've probably gone just for, you know, for your own knowledge, I've probably gone to this five or six times now. So, anywho, I truly enjoyed another All Decades Club meeting with you. I love the passion and perspective you bring to each meeting. At this last meeting, I was particularly impacted by your willingness to share how difficult things were for you during COVID. We don't know each other that well, but I'm glad to call you a friend. Thank you for your passion and perspective. Sincerely, I'll keep his name anonymous but yeah I mean that kind of hit me like a ton of bricks I uh, you know I was I was a little vulnerable I was you know I had had a few beers and spoke my mind spoke it openly and uh, you know, can't even 
recall to you exactly what I said, but apparently it was heard. And you know, you can't really put a value on those kind of connections. Right? In terms of the integrity of our of our lives. You know, the more the more other connections that we have in this tension of relationship with these compressed, compacted little life forms that we call people. You know, the tension of our of our friendships or our family relationships or our romantic relationships, it's not bad to understand it in terms of tension. Because tension holds things together. Right? Well, you know, I guess distance keeps us apart. And, you know, I don't want to overanalyze, right? But clearly I'm not the only one analyzing this this concept. It's like that article said, it's one of these sort of most basic truths. You know, from every size scale, from the from the atom to the molecule, you know, to the compound, to the living cell, all the way on up, the complex body, the complex network of of bodies, the economy, you know, our politics. I almost wonder if. Uh, Hmm. If anarchism is the strut and statism is the tension, the tensional component, or something of that nature, right? I don't know if we'll ever have true anarchism, but the best we can hope for is those of us that are willing to be that immovable force keep the structure rigid I guess rigid might not be the perfect word but be the rigid part of the structure that flexes around you right like I said I just think it's a useful idea kind of like entropy or biomimicry or you know, these, these, these ways of understanding, right. That apply in many, many ways. And to think it all just started with a, with a cool coffee table, the likes of which I had never seen. And now, like I said, I think I might start mocking up a little, a little drawing, kind of design my own tensegrity table. Because if it can blow my mind, maybe it can blow some other people's minds. And I like selling things that give people a perspective they might not have had. Right? Show them how nature works. The shape of it. Show them what food looks like, you know? Hmm. Alright, y'all. I think that's it. 
I appreciate it. And uh, I'll talk to you soon. If you would like to donate to the Easy Peasy Podcast, you can do so at easypeasygardens.com slash donate. Thanks for listening.